here we are again. Hare Krishna. Um, welcome to the Sunday Bhagavatam class. It's, I uh, hope everybody knows we're starting a little earlier at 7.30. Uh, because, uh, various reasons. So, uh, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So today we're going to start with uh, first canto text, first canto, third chapter, text 21. Sanskrit is Tatak Sapta Dashe Jataha Satyavatyang Parasharat. Chakri Veda Tarok Shaka Dristwa Pung Solpa So Tatak thereafter Sapta Dashe in the 17th Jataha he took birth Satyavatyam in Satyavati Parashara from Parashara his father Chakre he made Veda Taro of the Veda tree Shaka branches. He made branches of the Veda tree. Drishtwa having seen Pung So that the people were Alpa Medasaha. Uh, they had little intelligence. So this, of course, is Vyastev, the translation thereafter in the 17th incarnation of Godhead. Sri Vyasdev appeared in the womb of Satyavati by Parashara. Muni indeed divided the one Veda into several branches and sub-branches, seeing that the people in general were less intelligent. So <clears throat> Vyasa is a very interesting character, personality. Uh, he appeared, of course, before Krishna. Vyas is the son of Satyavati and uh, Parashara. His grandfather is King Vasu. And um, his, so if we look at his generation, uh, he, uh, is of course the grandson of Vasu, which means that he was one generation later than, well, actually he was born to Satyavati. So uh, he was one generation later than Shantanu. So in that sense, he was the generation of uh, Vichitravirya, Chitrangada, and, and of course, he's the father of Dhritarashtra, Pandu, and uh, Vidura. So if you, the reason I'm mentioning this historical context, trying to locate Vyas within a particular generation, is because Vyas appears at a time when the Asuras are actively invading the earth, trying to take over the earth. It was a, um, uh, an invasion done in stages. They came generation after generation. For example, you have uh, the first really major demon that manifests as such is Jarasandha, who is uh, the same, actually was a cousin of Vyasa. Jarasandha, if you, if you compare Jarasandha and um, Kangsa, 
First of all, uh, Jarasand is one generation older than Kangsa. Kangsa married uh, Jarasandha's two daughters. I think their names were Asti and Prapti. And, and so Jarasandha is the father-in-law of Kangsa. So, but if you compare these two, one, interest, one interesting thing about Kangsa is, is that we never hear about Kangsa actually leading an army. Jarasandha is more of a conventional king. He rules Magadha, which is the modern Bihar, roughly. He rules Magadha, and uh, he raises these gigantic armies. God only knows where he found all these soldiers because he kept raising these gigantic armies. So, so he's a conventional military leader, powerful demon. In a past life, he was Vipracitti, the uh, first son of the goddess Danu, and therefore the first Danava. But as Jarasandha, he rules a kingdom. He doesn't usurp a kingdom. Uh, his father was Brihadratha, who was the legitimate king of um, Magadha. And so he inherits by law, not by usurpation, he inherits by law a kingdom. And he raises armies and he's, you know, he's a demon. He does terrible things. For example, he arrested many Yadu kings so that he could butcher them. He, he was going to offer them in sacrifice to Kali, which is, you know, really religion in the mode of ignorance. And of course, Krishna came and saved them. That's one of the pastimes that when Krishna was in Dwarka and uh, the Pandavas wanted him to come and help to perform the Rajasuya sacrifice, and then Narada came and said, you should save these poor kings who are going to be butchered. And uh, then I believe Krishna turned to Uddhava and said, how do I deal with these two requests? And Uddhava said, well, you cannot perform the Rajasuya sacrifice until you defeat Jarasandha. So they went and defeated, they, they saved the kings who have been imprisoned by Jarasandha. But, so he's an Asura. He does evil things, and yet... He's evil, but he sort of rules like a normal king, although a super powerful one. Whereas Kangsa, he usurps the throne. Kangsa does not inherit the throne. He might have inherited it eventually, but he doesn't wait. He imprisons his own father and usurps the throne. If you look at later Indian history, uh, things like that become more and more common over time as we get into Kali Yuga. If you look at in, in the, uh, I believe it's the 11th or 12th canto, or it gives the lists of kings coming into Kali Yuga. And so more and more you see uh, revolutions and assassinations and things like that. But in the time of the Mahabharata, you don't see a lot of that. There's not a lot of uh, you know, assassinating the king, taking over the kingdom. I mean, you see it sometimes. It, happens, it starts to happen actually as we get toward Kali Yuga. For example, the Kekayas, the five brothers Kekayas, who rule Keka and who are cousins of Krishna, their throne is usurped and by Asuras. But so Kamsa usurps the throne, imprisons his own father-in-law, wants to kill his cousin sister Devaki, and you never hear about him with an army. He sends not an he doesn't send an army to Vrindavan. He sends these. Uh, 
sort of, I don't know, you call them Hogwarts rejects. I mean, he just sends these people with all these magical powers. Well, especially the power of Kama Rupa, which means desire form. They can take any form they like, such as uh, Putana, who takes the form of a beautiful young woman, like a goddess. And then the next demon is Trinavarta, which literally means the grass whirler. And so Trinavarta, he takes the form of a whirlwind. So he has all these powerful friends with these mystic powers, but not regular armies. You never hear about, he has guards, he has soldiers and guards, but you never see Kongsa engaging in conventional warfare. But in any case, Jarasanda, going back to Jarasanda, uh, Jarasanda is the cousin of Vyasa. Because he's the cousin of Vyasa. Because Vyasa's mother is Satyavati, her brother is Brihadratha, whose son is Jarasanda. So for Jarasanda, it was anti, you know, anti Satyavati. And for Vyas, it was Uncle Brihadratha. So they're actually cousins. When you really start to look at things in the Mahabharata, everyone's connected in different ways. <clears throat> the reason I mention all this is because Vyas, it's not just that, okay, Kali Yuga's coming, things were kind of degraded. So um, Vyas came and he did do that. But he's doing it at a time when the earth is in perpetual state of conflict. He does it at a time when there is a full-scale Asura invasion of the earth. And so then the question would be, how does Vyas, how is Vyas seen? How do the Asuras see him? And did the Asuras, because they attack Krishna. Of course, Krishna appears as a Kshatriya. And, and so they try to kill Krishna, but then again, uh, Kangsa, of course, tries to kill Krishna even when he's a baby and fails. So what was the Asura's attitude toward Vyasa, this avatar, this representative of Krishna, whom they are trying to kill, suddenly appears in the middle of their invasion? How do they take that? And that's something I'm going to address, actually, in, my, in the Mahabharata I'm working on. So, uh, you know, save your money and be a little patient, and you can read and find out what the Asuras thought about Vyasa. But because in, in several ways, and I'll go over those ways, Vyasa was not neutral. He was neutral in a sense, because he's a great sage and he sees everyone as spirit soul. But in other ways, Vyasa favored one side in this conflict. And I'll, I'll give a few examples. I just... that at an earlier stage, I mean, a generation before Kurukshetra, a generation before the Pandavas and, um, and Krishna came, you have young Pandu. Pandu is a fascinating character. We don't hear much about him in the Bhagavatam. If you look up Pandu in the Veda base, it's almost always, O son of Pandu you know, referring to someone else, namely Arjun or, some, or another, or Yudhisthira, but, but actually, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about Pandu because his father is Vyasa. And there are certain things that are always said about Vyasa, and you probably know them, but I want to explore other areas. So, 
Pandu, first of all, uh, he's a great devotee. I mean, a truly great devotee. The proof is that in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, uh, Lord Chaitanya was speaking with Bhavananda Roy, the father of Ramananda Roy. And he said to Bhavananda Roy, and, and you find this twice in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, not just once, where Lord Chaitanya says to Bhavananda Roy, Ramananda's father, you were Pandu. You were Pandu. And what's interesting about that is that um, it's also said in the Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita that Lord Chaitanya had many intimate associates, but out of those, there was a smaller group that were like the most intimate associates of the Lord. And one of those is Bhavananda Roy, who is Pandu. So what that proves is that Pandu is not only a Vaishnava, he's not only a devotee, he's one of the greatest, most intimate devotees of the Lord. And so that's the, and so I, I find him very interesting. Uh, just another little Mahabharata tidbit, since we're talking about, and I want to get back to Vyastev. But, well, when, when, when Dhritarashtra was born, and when Pandu was born, uh, what the Mahabharata tells us that there was great rejoicing in the Kuru kingdom. Uh, before they were born, there was a crisis in the Kuru dynasty. They had no king. And Bhishma, who was probably the single most powerful warrior in the world, could not fight. Because it's clear, if you, if you study all these things carefully, that part of Bhishma's vow uh, to the fishermen, the, the vow he made to get Satyavati for his father, was that he would not fight except for a Kuru, a legitimate Kuru authority, king. And so when Dhritarashtra was born, even though he was just a baby, he was a legitimate Kuru heir, and therefore Bhishma could fight again. And so that's because otherwise, the Mahabharata says that before the birth of Dhritarashtra and Pandu, of course, then Vidura, um, there was a crisis, there was no Kuru heir, and uh, other countries were stealing Kuru lands and there was basically lawlessness. The world was degenerating into these sort of evil warlords who were bullying and taking over other countries. And so in my view, that's also the time when Bhumi went to, Bra uh, to Brahma to say that, you know, that the, her, the earth has been invaded. That's the time. There's a lot of reasons for that. Mahabharata I won't go into now. So. So you could ask the question, why were the Kurus allowing other people to steal their land and so on when uh, Bhishma was there? He was the most powerful warrior. It's obvious he could not fight because there was no Kuru king to fight for. And that was one of the conditions that governed him. And so as soon as Dhritarashtra was born, the Kurus began to rejoice and there was security again because there was a legitimate Kuru heir, therefore Bhishma could fight. That's the detail, but, but the way this relates to Vyasa is that Vyasa at that time in history uh, checks the Asura invasion because by saving the Kuru dynasty and also credit goes to Satyavati, 
Satyavati is another person who's not talked about very much, but I find personally very interesting. And uh, she plays a key role in various ways. So in, in the Mahabharata I'm presenting, I plan to really pay attention to people like Satyavati and Pandu. In any case, um, Vyasa saves the Kuru dynasty with his mother. And Satyavati obviously deserves credit because she called Vyasa. So, so Satyavati and her son Vyasa saved the Kuru dynasty. And at that stage in history, it's the Kuru dynasty which is holding off the Asuras. If you go back uh, a generation, the main person who's holding back the Asuras is King Vasu, who was in the Kuru dynasty, but from a sort of a secondary wing of the Kuru dynasty, He's a prince without a kingdom, but he's a great soul. So Indra offers him that if you stay on earth and don't go to heaven, which you've now earned by your yoga, if you stay on earth, then uh, I will give you a kingdom. He gives him the kingdom of Chedi, which is sort of in the roughly, very roughly in the area of Jansi, where Prabhupada used to live down there, sort of the border between Madhya Pradesh and the southernmost part of Uttar Pradesh. So, um, so he's originally from the Kurus, but he lives in Shady in the capital city, Suktamati, which means Suktamati, uh, which means Pearl River. So he lives there and he defends the earth. But his son, Brihadratha, does not become the defender of the world somehow. In fact, Vasu was given a crystal airship. That's right. I mean, that's better than Marvel Comics. If you really understand Mahabharata, you do not need Marvel Comics or DC. So um, he's given this crystal airship and then he wants to give it to his son, but it, it disappears. It won't go to his son. The crystal airships defend the world because the son Bhiyadratha is not a bad person, but he is attached to his son, who's Jarasandha. And so once Vasu ends his reign and, and leaves this world, his son cannot continue the father's tradition of protecting the earth, stopping the Asura invasion because, because Brihadratha is sort of in the middle. His son is the greatest Asura and he's attached to his son. And so at that time, the political power, central political power returns to Hastinapur. At the time of, with Shantanu, at the time of Vasu, the Kuru king in Hastinapur is Pratipa, but the earth is so peaceful, it's so prosperous because that, um, that he just sits on the bank of the Ganges River and practices yoga, you know, meditating. I'm not, he's not a Hatha yogi, but he's practicing, he's meditating for the welfare of the world. So what's interesting is that at that time in history, because Parashuram killed all the bad kings, all the new kings are descended from great sages, there's peace, prosperity, no crime. And so you have kings just meditating. There's nothing to do. But therefore, Indra empowered Vasu, who had his capital in Shady. So that became the political center. In fact, the Mahabharata says over and over again that Vasu was an emperor. He was the king of kings. He was the Samra. And in fact, he's so powerful 
that he has five sons and all five of them just have their own kingdoms. So it's not that he just gives Chady to his eldest son and all the rest of the princes have to just kind of be lifelong princes like the four younger Pandavas. He just gives them all their own kingdoms with their own names. And so he's very powerful. He has a real empire. Magadha, which is a very important kingdom, today it's Bihar, uh, he just gives it to his son um, Priyaratha. And that's why Jarasandha becomes the king of Magadha. But in any case, so power geographically, it stays basically in the extended Kuru dynasty, but geographically the power moves to the south, to Chedi with Vasu. But then the next generation, Vasu's son is not really up to defending the earth against the Asuras. He's compromised because of his own son, who's the big Asura. And so the power, central political power or empowerment shifts back to Hastinapur to Pratipa's son, who is willing and able to lay down the law and does keep order. And that, of course, is the famous Shantanu. And so Shantanu becomes the king of kings. Shantanu has two sons, Vichitravirya and Chitrangada, to carry on this dynasty, but they both die very young, and the Kuru dynasty and the world, and the world are thrown into a crisis, a terrible crisis, and basically anarchy breaks out, warlords, the Suras start to assert their power, and it's stopped. The world is put back in order by Vyasa. And Satyavati, because it's Satyavati who insisted that we have to do something. Therefore, of course, first she told Bhishma that you have to accept the widows of your young ste younger stepbrother because we need an heir to the throne. Of course, Bhishma gives this famous speech that, you know, I will never break my vow, you know, the world's collapse, which is not altogether practical. I mean, the world may be more important than your vow. But in any case, that's just a moot point because Bhishma has a counter offer. He says, I won't break my vow. But he said that actually he gives historical examples. That's called Itihya. Uh, itiha means thus it was, or, or in the larger, longer form, Itihasa, which means history. Itiha Asa, or just Itiha, means tradition, what happened in the past. And from the word Itiha, you have Itihya, which means tradition as authority, in the sense that if great personalities did this in the past, then we can do it. And that's the argument he gives, Aitihya. So it's a form of argument. And he says that in the past, uh, in fact, the case of Prashram, a recent case, that when there was no one to continue the royal order, then um, all the, after Prashram killed the kings, their daughters who wanted to marry, and, and, and there was no one to marry them, and, and there was no one to rule. There was no one to continue the royal order. So great Brahmins approached them or I'm sorry, they approached great Brahmins, the most, most pure-hearted sages that had no lust, and they reconstituted the royal order. So this is, these are the examples. And so Bhishma said, 
let us call a pure Brahmin. And legally, because what they're concerned with here is law, dharma. Dharma means law. And so legally, by dharma, if they do that, the sons produced by a sage with these, with the widows of Vichitravirya will be legitimate, lawful heirs to the Kuru throne. And at that point, Satipati reveals to Bhishma, and she's very embarrassed about it, that actually before I married your father, I had a son. She's never told anyone this. And the son I had is the greatest of Brahmins. It's Vyasa himself. So that's why Vyasa is called and uh, Vyasa uh, begets the, the three Kuru. Um, Kuru's Dhritarashtra, Pandu, and Vidura and saves the Kuru dynasty. And at least for that generation, in the, in the first generation, these are four generations, the four generations before Krishna the Pandavas. In Vasu's generation, Vasu saved the earth from being taken over by these suras who are taking birth in, the, in, in royal families and just taking over dynasties, taking over countries. The next generation, the power goes to Shantanu. And, uh, and then the next generation, you could say Bhishma himself, because Vichit Traviria, that's a whole other story, Vichit Traviria, who doesn't go to his own Swayamvara, it's the only case we hear about this. And, uh, and of course, after that, you, you have the Pandava, because the Asuras are gaining ground. Asura, uh, Jarasandha is making alliances, he makes an alliance with Kangsa. He's making other alliances with people like Vidura, uh, just different alliances. And um, and of course, Kangsu takes, Kangsa takes over the Yadu dynasty. So the Asuras, after Shantanu and after Pandu, the Asuras are pushing hard and they're starting to take over. And that's when Krishna comes down. So it's a very dramatic scene. Anyway, so Vyas, he saves the Kuru dynasty, which during that generation uh, saved the world from the Asura invasion. Another important thing about his giving, uh, dividing the Veda and, and writing you know, important other books like Mahabharata, is that, as they say, the winner writes the history. It's very important to keep in mind that the Asuras had a very different view of history. The view that we have in the Mahabharata, which ultimately is the truth, is that the Pandavas were the heroes and Krishna is the supreme good guy and the Asuras are the bad guys. The Asuras had a very different view of it. The Asura view was that, no, you know, might makes right and we are the legitimate rulers of earth and the universe. And so the fact that Vyasa was teaching the Vedas and or making them teachable by organizing them, um, was also against the Asuras. Because the version we have, that Krishna is God, and the Asuras are the bad guys, and the Pandavas and their allies are the good guys, that version came from Vyas. And so from the Asura point of view, they don't want that story being told. That, they don't want the people of Earth 
being convinced that they're the bad guys and Krishna and his devotees are the good guys. So that's another thing the Asuras would have strongly objected to. Yasdev convincing the people of earth about this version of the events. And then there's one scene which I don't even know why, but somehow it's just not very well known. Although it's one of those powerful scenes in the Mahabharata. And uh, it will be great in a future movie. And that is after the Battle of Kurukshetra, when, when the royal order has been devastated, there's just unimaginable suffering. I mean, if you imagine there's millions of families that have lost their father, that have, women that have lost their husband, uh, parents have lost their son. I mean, there's just an unbelievable amount of suffering going on. You consider how many people were killed on both sides. And, and so a serious question arises as to can we ever put the world back together? Because there's been so much enmity, so much bad feeling, so much killing. Because, you know, if you're a, a woman and someone kills your husband, or if you're, you know, a bunch of, you know, men and women and someone killed your father or someone killed your son, I mean, that creates very bad feelings. And so just the amount of hatred, and you see this, actually you see one vivid example because after Kurukshetra, in order to try to put the world back together again, uh, Yudhisthira is going to perform not the Rajasuya, but the uh, Ashwamedha sacrifice trying to somehow or other reunite the world because Yashwamedha requires, like the Rajasuya, that the other kingdoms participate and accept. And so the Ashwamedha, it's an attempt to put the world back together. And so the Pandavas, the four, same thing, four Pandavas go in the four directions, Yudhisthira stays in the capital. And when Arjuna comes to the kingdom of, uh, Sind, Sindhu. The king, the king of that, the king there, the sign of a king, had been uh, Jayadratha, you know, good guy Jayadratha, who tried to rape Draupadi, who you know didn't let the Pandavas save their son Abhimanyu, and so, and and Jayadratha's widow is Dushala who's the sister, the one sister of, of Duryodhana's brothers. Now Dushala, Dushala, who's the sister of Duryodhana, is actually a good lady. And she actually has, I mean, I mean her and Arjuna are actually like brother and sister, despite Duryodhana. But when, and there's this very powerful scene, it's one of the most powerful scenes in the Mahabharata, which is not, perhaps not so well known, but I hope to change that. That when Arjuna gets there, and you know, it's the, it's the basic message that submit or fight. So what happens is the sons of Jayadratha are bitter and they hate Arjuna because Arjuna's one of the Pandavas that killed their father. 
So they come out to fight. They'd rather die fighting. So it's, and at that, at that time, Arjuna, even Arjuna himself, and really all the sane people, they're not in the mood to fight. Everyone is thinking there's been enough killing. We don't need more killing. And so Arjuna, even though Jayadratha was such a scoundrel, he, I mean, he defends himself against, defends himself against the sons of Jayadratha. He doesn't kill them. He's just uh, he's trying to reason with them, but they, they won't stop. And then you have this powerful scene where Dushala herself, this senior lady, just walks onto the battlefield. She just walks onto the battlefield. And at that point, everyone just puts their weapon down. So it's a very powerful scene. It's a very powerful scene, very moving scene. And, and then Arjuna addresses her as his sister and they have this very poignant conversation. And Dushala, if you want to know the role of women in Vedic culture, you sometimes hear it kind of like the Muslim version. But um, Dushala just declares that battle's over. And Arjuna puts his weapons down. So there's an, an example of the role of women in a different light. Of course, it, you know, obviously it was, it was very complex. It wasn't just this way, it wasn't that way. But in that scene, Kedushala just, she walks onto the battlefield and no one's going, and everyone just puts their weapons down out of respect for her. And she basically declares this, this battle is over. And it is. And so it's, 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 it's a very powerful moving scene. But the reason I mention that is to show how disturbed the world was. Because basically every leader of the world wanted to kill someone in revenge for what they did to someone in their family. And so, you, and so the question was, can we put the world back together? And then you have this scene of Vyastev where you have all these these the, the, the survivors among the royal order, and and all their families lamenting and, and and bitter. And he just by his mystic power, he all the soldiers who died at Kurukshetra, he brings them up out of the Ganges. He they just all. I mean, this is. You won't need to watch Marvel comic Marvel movies after once we get this thing going, but they. Um, they just all come up and they're all dressed as they were in the prime of their life on their chariots with all their weapons. Just, you know, these millions of people just rise out of the Ganges and they recognize each other and, and they, they embrace each other and they just give up their enmity. So it's, it's a very powerful scene. And, and for some reason, I guess for some reason, maybe it's not in the uh, standard Hindu comic books, but it really is a very powerful scene. And that's also Vyasa. So I wanted to give another picture of Vyasa. I mean, obviously we know he's the great editor of the Vedas, but also he is born at a time of warfare, at a time of, of, of a great battle on earth between the Suras and the Asuras. And he's born into one of the chief families in that conflict. His mother is Satyavati, who is the wife of Shantanu, 
who was the great defender of the earth against the Asuras. And he is her son. So again, I like history and uh, I find it interesting. And so I'm trying to explain all these things within a historical context to give a sort of a, another angle of vision as Prabhupada would say. So let me see if there are any questions here. Still the same low price for your questions. Um, <laughs> Hare Krishna, stormtrooper, can't wait for the Mahabharata. Uh, let's see. Uh, no, there's no questions. So anyway, thank you all very much. I'm glad we could spend this Sunday morning together. And I hope we'll see you all next Sunday. Hare Krishna.